The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Here we go again, another shaken and stirred. I'm so excited to be back. I'm a people with a little giggle on my face. Tom in England, in the UK. Tom Astor, my co-host. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, thanks, Nigel. Spring has sprung in, in England, which is great. Lots of energy and, you know, freshness coming our way. It's good. Yeah, how are you? Freshness. freshness. I, I, nothing like I a little bit of freshness to get us going. It's quite fresh tonight. It's cold at night and kind of like nice in the day. But anyway, it's rare. You were, you were talking earlier about how grey and dull England is, but actually, by and large, when you get those beautiful spring days, nothing beats it. Nothing beats a beautiful day in the UK. That is true. That in the summer, the same thing. When you have that basically two days or a week, if you're lucky, of nice weather, everyone goes bonkers and it's the best summer ever. Yeah, I know. Everyone in the UK gets very upset whenever I say anything like, oh, it's grey in, in England. Maybe the things have changed. Maybe the weather, you know, the climate has changed in the UK. It's no longer grey. It's grey nice. I'm missing anything. Don't worry. <laughs> Awful. And I figured as much. We have a fabulous, hilarious, brilliant guest for us today who's going to keep us on our toes. But before we get there, Tom, what are you drinking? I'm drinking... A cocktail, which, you know, we, we've got in the pipeline, I don't know whether we're allowed to discuss it or not, but we've got this new series coming up. And I have collared my daughter's boyfriend, who is a, I'm not going to give anything away, too much away, who is a, is a head barman at a place called the Pelagoni Club, which we have been to in Greece. A fantastic place to take a family holiday. But anyway, so my daughter's boyfriend, I challenged him. He popped in tonight with my daughter. And I, I said, that you're a bartender. Mate, i got to make a cocktail tonight, so maybe one. He, and he has made me a blood orange white lady. Wow. What, a blood yeah. orange white lady sounds fabulous. In fact, it almost describes your daughter. <laughs> no, yeah, well, sort of me and my daughter. Blood orange. And what, yeah. <laughs> Which is blood, I'm using blood, one part blood orange gin, one part Cointreau, or triple set an egg white and half a lemon. Now, you dry shake it, get it all mixed up, and then you wet shake it. Now, we haven't had this before on this on this podcast, and this is something, a term that I, that I actually only heard this evening, dry shake. We have had a dry shake. I was too drunk, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I have dry shaked myself before on this show, and it creates a nice froth. I'm sure you've shaken yourself dry many a time. Um, what are you drinking, Nigel? Well, tell us about your dry shake. Don't get all put off the dry shake. I, I know that you were too drunk oh, to remember. But... And I'm holding it up, and it's weirdly, no, it's almost the same colour again as my face, but it's a sort of peachy hue. It's very de- delicious. It is delicious. I know it's delicious. So I already had one, a dry, a dry run with a dry shake. What do you have? <laughs> and I myself have decided to go old school with a little Negroni. I wanted to spice things up. It's like, you know what? I, I felt like, okay, it's it's so miserable outside. And I'm like, I like to have something a little colorful, but I, you know, made a little bit of a difference. I went back and tried, and I've been really getting into this. And I know I drank this just the other day on Shaken and Stirred, but Balls Genevieve. This was established in 1575, and I've been doing some research into Bolgenova, and it turns out they are the oldest spirits company ever in existence since 1575, so 425 plus years. Look at the bottle. Isn't it a wonderful bottle? It's a sort of very kind of tubular with a little top on the end and you know, really great fancy kind of calligraphy type writing. And the interesting thing is, is obviously a Negroni is one of the simplest, but one of the most fabulous old school, the great provenance cocktail that has normally has vermouth, has Campari and has gin in equal measures. However, and this is the interesting thing is Bolgenevere, which is looks like a gin, completely clear. And I talked about this before. Tastes almost more like a whiskey, but it is a whiskey-esque type of feel, malty, but has juniper on the nose and apricot. So it is a really kind of a, com- a complex kind of smell. It's like if you could imagine making a gin with a sort of whiskey background, and then you mix it into a Negroni, it gives a, it's a far more bitter Negroni than some people may like, but I love it and it's delicious. And I got a, a, a slice of a blood orange in there. So cheers, my friend. Cheers. Now, a little bit of booze news. There's some fun things happening in booze news. You may remember I mentioned some 117-year-old nun who talked about how she had 
lived every day and survived as, as well as she had because she drinks a glass of red wine every day. Right, so there's this great story of this old lady who was drinking red wine every day, hit 117. Well, here's another story about longevity, living a long life because of drinking. And once again, this just goes to prove that drinking may actually make you last forever. And my great auntie Irene, bless her heart, who lived till she was 97, every day would have a glass of sherry at five o'clock in the afternoon. And when you asked her what she was drinking, she would say, just a little tonic, darling, it's medicinal." And, and you'd be like, what? Medicinal? She would say, no, medicinal." <laughs> Which you knew at that point, she'd already had one too many sherries, oh, auntie Irene. But bless her heart, she lived in the 97. And here is another lady, 105, she's celebrating right now. And she puts it down, she credits, she's from New Jersey, and she credits to having, and check this out, she soaks raisins in gin and she eats them, right? So I guess when you soak a raisin in alcohol or any kind of thing, it kind of puffs up like a grape, right? Sucks it all up again. So she has been soaking raisins in gin and she eats nine, exactly nine, gin-soaked raisins every day. And she puts that down to her longevity. And she actually just contracted COVID apparently and it didn't affect her at 105. She recovered nicely uh, and she's back to eating her raisins soaked in gin. And, you know, really is quite a miracle. So cheers to that. And I think actually on that note, I'm going to no, drink- you know, On that note, sorry, I'm going to, well, go on, we can cheers. We can cheers away. I want to we'll cheers to the 105 year old and the 117 year old and for me drinking more and living forever. Yeah, and then you can cheers me again when I've given you my booze news, which weirdly, you know, we don't we don't talk to each other about what our booze news is going to be, and normally you you jump in there. But I've read something earlier on today that researchers from the University of Georgia have identified a U-shaped relationship between alcohol and cognitive function scores, where a little provided benefits, but too much had the reverse effect. Basically, having two alcoholic drinks a day may slow mental decline and preserve brain function, according to a new study. There we go. That ties in nicely, a segue, as you'd like to put it, with your nun. Except for the fact that they mentioned having only two drinks, which means that you and I are both screwed. Well, so moving you. swiftly on, I guess it depends on the size of the drink, doesn't it, Tom? If you're mm. only having thimble-sized you know, drinks that you're having, then perhaps you know you can have four or five and it's the same. We haven't talked about quantity, but let's get on. Our guest today, I literally met at Clubhouse. Yes, Clubhouse, the place that everyone's been talking about that no one's actually been into, but everyone's trying to get into, but you can only get into if you're invited. And I was, and we're going to get into that a little bit. And I'm not even joking. She happens to be an actress, a stand-up comedian, a writer, a podcast host. She does it all. Okay, now I'm joking. Please welcome <laughs> Lamar to Shaken and Stirred. Leah, how are you, love? Nigel, I'm fabulous. Thank you for a wonderful introduction. And it is true, I do do it all, except for make my parents happy. So I really... <laughs> that is literally my next question after what are you drinking? Oh, yeah, great. Well, I'm going to be real with you. It is just coffee. Oh, for God's sakes. I know. It's so boring. It is 2 p.m. in L.A., and I'm sure it's 6 p.m. somewhere. <laughs> no, it's 5 p.m. somewhere. It's not 6 p.m. You're going to say it. You're going to get it right, Leah. For God's sake, can't quote the wrong thing. It's six, I got to say it's 6 p.m. Guess what? It's 2 p.m. somewhere where you are. Sorry, where and you should be having a drink. New York? Okay. That was just talking to my fake assistant. <laughs> so, coffee, do you not drink? I don't. And why? Well, Nigel, thank you for bringing up this very sensitive subject in my life. Um, no, it's not that sensitive. It's just, so I'm a comedian. And for me, when I moved, so I'm from New York originally, born and raised in New York. And then when I moved to LA, I started driving everywhere. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, if I have a drink and then I take an Uber to this place and an Uber to that place, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, the bill is racking up. And when you move out here and you're a broke comic, can't really afford to do it. So it kind of became something that just, matter of fact, just just didn't work for my lifestyle. And then my tolerance to alcohol diminished so much that when I started having even a sip of wine, I'd be hungover for three days. And I'd be like, yeah, this isn't for me. It's called cheap wine. Lynn. Yeah, that is correct, uh, Nigel. <laughs> there is a way around that. And, and, you know, we are as being sort of connoisseurs of alcohol and sort of basically 
I don't know, at this point, Tom's about 120% proof, as you can probably tell just by looking at him <laughs> in the distance, and a great vintage as well. And I myself, who simply just, you know, does things in moderation at all times. I mean, I get it. We've had a lot of people on this show who don't drink. We have a lot of AA. No, no, sorry, sorry, hang on, I'm going to really interrupt you. <laughs> seriously, seriously risky question to ask, you know. What you don't drink. Why don't you drink? I mean, we've never asked that question to anyone who doesn't drink on this podcast, and that could have gone so horribly wrong. Like, your answer could have been, I cite you, actually, we might have to re-edit it. You might have to come back with another answer. Like, well, the last time I had a drink, I was found on running down the road with a, you know, I don't know. Tom, you're right. I honestly didn't want to tell Nigel the truth. But the last time I drank, I, I ended up in jail for a couple of nights. I mean, it just happens after you steal 10 people's wallets and rob a bank at gunpoint and then go to your ex-boyfriend's house and burn it down. And then, I mean, it wasn't me, but it, it could have been. It could have been me. Um, that's what all the video showed, but I, I don't believe it. I think it was a deep fake. And this is why you can only find her at Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> She's only allowed in Clubhouse from now on out. Yeah, I do have an ankle bracelet on and it, it is pretty tight. Can you guys loosen it? I'm, I'm doing a podcast right now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the conversation with the imaginary assistant. It's brilliant. It's like a, a part of your routine. Are you practicing with us right now? Or is this something you do all the time? <laughs> no, no, no. I also have an imaginary boyfriend, so I'm sure he'll appear at some point. <laughs> and Tom has an imaginary girlfriend, which I have actually <laughs> never seen either. But. I'm not imaginary, Nigel. God. You, uh, oh wow look at how easy that was tom this is what they do this is the problem so talk to us about you mentioned right off the top before we get to everything else clubhouse you sort of said your parents weren't proud i was curious and i was i'm like okay i love that right off the bat you're kind of talk, you brought your parents in on it so i'm going to call you on that because people even with me my parents have often said what do you do for a living and i'm, I'm a photographer and people are like come on that's not a job but comedian Oof, not a job. what is that <laughs> Yeah, definitely not a real job. It was it's been a journey for me. If I'm very, very honest with you, I I didn't have the support of my family for a long time. I think now that they see my success, they're obviously more supportive. And uh, about a month and a half ago, I was in Florida at the Tampa Improv featuring for Russell Peters. So they were able to come and actually see the magnitude of it. And they're like, Oh, this is actually a real thing. You're you're actually doing it. And I'm like, I've been actually doing it for a while now. And it it just became tangible. And I love them so much. It's just, I think it's hard for parents who don't understand that art sometimes takes a while to materialize into wealth, if ever, for some people. But for me, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I'd be in it no matter what, even if I didn't make it. You know, I've tried many other jobs and everything has made me super miserable. And this is my only natural fit. I just, I did the sex motion with my hands, but what I meant was my, my spirit, spirit and comedy are having sex with each other constantly. Um, it's the only thing that makes me happy and it, it, it is my true spirit. So for me, my authentic self is just being a comedian. I have no other choice. It, it is. It, sorry, it is. Nigel was just saying, is it actually joke? Is it, you know, hang on a minute. Nigel, comedians have been around a lot longer than photographers. I mean, you know. Just call us doctors, please. <laughs> you know, Shakespeare was writing comedy. I mean, literally, you know, it's been around for well, how long has how, how long has comedy as an art form been around? That's, sorry, that's a question something occurred to me that I don't know the answer to. Do you know the answer to that question? Yeah, I think in Genesis, God took a rib and made a woman. That's oh, yeah. the first joke right oh, there. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's it for me. Yeah. So it's it's a job as tale as old as time. Yeah, I think comedy and prostitution probably go pretty pretty far back. Um. <laughs> Oldest profession in the world, apparently. Yeah. yeah God Almighty, what is it about people's folks that just they if they just not into pretty much anybody having any other any job in being creative other than you know I mean my parents wanted me to be a doctor. I got brothers who were lawyers, accountants. <laughs> I, I could be Jewish, right? I should probably should be Jewish. I live in New York, so I'm basically Jewish by default, right? And yeah. all my friends are Jewish, so they actually call me the Barkestein. But hey, you know, they're, <laughs> no. they're being called other, all kinds of other stuff too, but I have my own nicknames. When you came to Ellis Island, they just called you Barkerberg? Yeah, exactly. Barkerberg, <laughs> Barkestein, you know, I've, had, I've heard it all. You know, the Barkerbitzes, you know, whatever we want to be. Um, the Barker. The Barker. <laughs> 
What do you think it is about our, our folks, parents, that, that that they are so set in their way? When, when half the time they didn't have an, an everyday job either, right? But they somehow would, you know, and even with my kids, I'm like, want them to go to college. But I kind of, you know, kind of think too, maybe that's not necessary. We know what it is, Nigel. We want for our children. I don't have children. Kids? I mean, no, they're just, there's nothing there. Um, <laughs> we, I think parents want stability for their children. And every, I think all parents want a better life than they had for their kids. And so income, a stable income and job security usually means stability and better whatever. And so there's no stability in the arts. Even when you're at the top, you can be at the bottom the next day. You know, just one headline can ruin you and, and bring you to shambles. And I think having your entire life kind of put out for public display also is sometimes unflattering in the mind of parents. They don't want to also be dragged in the media. And it, it's a hard life. You know, I think we can all come to a conclusion that, it, you know, it's, it's not the easiest profession to be in. The highs are high, the lows are very low, and everything in between is terrifying. And learning how to live in the shades of gray is... Uh, 50 Shades of Grey doesn't work for me unless there are whips and chains involved. You know what I'm talking about? And we're about to bring them out. Because clearly your career has had an all-time high as you're now on the Shaken and Stirred show. And, and <laughs> after this particular moment, the, the phones are going to be ringing off the hook. Your imaginary assistant is going to have to become actual. It all starts here, Leah. <laughs> They're normally quite <laughs> Nigel pitches for some sort of job with whoever we're interviewing. So I'm waiting for him to basically kind of chime in. If you need an assistant, you know where to get hold of them. Perfect. Yeah. Some people say it starts at conception. I say it starts at the Shaken and Stirred podcast. <laughs> we're going to be using that, people. Producers, you can take a note of that last comment. That's how we're going to run with that. Okay. Take it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Let's jump forwards and go Clubhouse because you are Great. kind of all over Clubhouse and you welcomed me. Give it a little bit of an explanation for those people who don't really know what Clubhouse is, which is like maybe nobody right now because it's sort of all over the news. But I, Tom lives under a rock, for example, so he would not know. Oh, how is it there? Warm? Yeah, wonderful. And I was thinking earlier when you were saying that children want a better life for their, for their kids, you know, than they want them to. I was just thinking I, I enjoy my life so much that they're completely screwed. Sorry, that was going back to that last comment you said. I enjoy my life so much that I really don't know how to make this better <laughs> i must tell them sorry i was a Thank you, tom. living under the rock is wonderful i can't recommend it enough tom let's time travel to the present so <laughs> i i want to i want to ask being under the rock is that fun for you i mean dwayne johnson is really just a very big presence so that's another thing you you yeah. know if you listen to some of our previous podcasts you'll know not to mention the rock in front um, of my should have done he's my research, but I think no, it's the clubhouse. <laughs> Nigel refers to himself as the pebble when it comes to rock. Nigel would like his alter ego is the rock. So that checks out, actually. Looking at you, Nigel, I see that for you. That's what I'm talking about. And we say, you know, we have the rock, we have the pebble, and we have Tom who's just stoned. But there you go. That's our. <laughs> now you get it all, it all comes together. But anyway, this isn't about us. This is about you. We want to talk about Clubhouse, first of all. How do we get in? What is going on? And you have your own room. You have your own stand-up kind of deal, I guess. But it's virtual or you can't see. So you're not really standing up. You can be sitting down. Talk to us about that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Clubhouse, for those of you who don't know is it's a new social media app where you can connect in real time to people around the world for free for now on a variety of topics. You've got to make it funny, Leah, when you do it. You can't pitch uh, it. Like, it can't be elevator. I'm not going to be I'm investing. You can be masturbating while on it. Okay. And I'm saying if that's not the, your new spank bank, I so don't basically know. Basically, Tubin is going to be, he's <laughs> got his own chat room is what's going on here is what yeah, Leah's trying to say. Elon Musk came on and his profile is just a photo of boxer briefs. So I'm telling you, everyone is masturbating on this app at the same time. It's just a virtual orgy. If you want to join, come literally. <laughs> <laughs> and I just joined your room. Yeah, I saw you and it invited me. So I joined your comedy hour your comedy room or whatever it's called and what is it called does it have a name yes so my club is called hot on the mic and i'm a comedian i have a comedy club on there and i do stand-up shows every two weeks on the app and i have some of the biggest names in comedy we've had tim dillon reggie watts corinne fisher just massive comics come 
it's such a blast. But then I also do a lot of other comedy rooms. Like just an hour ago, I started a random room called Come Pitch Yourself, like a manager is pitching you. But honestly, it was Come Pitch Yourself like you're on cocaine. I just didn't want to get flagged. And so (laughs) everyone came in talking in the third person, just being like, I'm the fucking best, you know, and it was hilarious. But I have lots of pop up rooms. I also do crowd work rooms. I also have a show on Tuesdays, 9pm called seventh layer of hell, a game show, and it's all dad jokes. So everyone from all around the world comes and it's an international experience. And we just tell dad jokes. And if I like your joke, you can stay on stage. If I don't like your joke, you go in the audience. It's as simple as that. And sometimes it turns into a full on roast. It's very fun. There are lots of other shows. We have a comedy and sex show on Wednesdays called comedy. Thank you. And, (laughs) and, you know, you'll just see me on the app just doing everything comedy related. We have actually one of the founders of the onion coming on today. So we're going to chat with him about life and comedy and the internet The app is pretty revolutionary. I mean, I didn't even know about NFTs until I got there. And and when I talk to my regular friends who aren't on Clubhouse, I'm like, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, NFT. They're like, what just happened to you? You've become a new person. And uh, I have, I have Nigel. And clearly someone has equity in Clubhouse. I, I, you know, if, if that didn't scream, I own a piece of the action, people. But listen, I gotta tell you, I've got, I went on Clubhouse. I had no idea what was happening. So my friend of mine said, you've got to go to Clubhouse. I'm going to invite you. He invited me. I literally downloaded the app or whatever I did. I, I opened the invitation and I went. And I felt like I had been accosted the moment I arrived because out of nowhere, all these people were sort of talking to me out of my phone. I first of all thought my phone was broken. That I, I was like looking at my phone going, oh my God, I'm getting a FaceTime is coming through. Or I'm like, what, why? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I felt so old. I'm like, shit, what's happening? Like, how do I stop this? And people were saying, Nigel, Nigel. I'm like, oh God. And then I'm like, I don't know who they are. And then all of a sudden, someone I knew was on my phone. (laughs) It was Patrick Finnegan. And I'm like, Patrick. Patrick. Patrick? And he's like, Nigel, welcome. And I'm like, what are you doing? How, how did you know that I'm here? And, and they were like, literally, Tom, five or six people welcoming me to Clubhouse out of nowhere. Like, I'm like, what is happening? This is a huge world with millions of people. I just quietly just downloaded something and pressed enter. And the next thing I have all these people saying hello and welcoming and, and chatting. And I was in a room and they were pulling people in and up and down and around. And you can be, you can join, you can talk, put your hand up. I'll see you in the halls. I'm like, uh, I left feeling kind of nauseated, excited, aroused, and needed a drink. So you did masturbate while on Clubhouse. Is the well, moment you know, you did kind of go there. You know, I thought I would just throw that out. I know Thomas did aroused. Keep saying it, Thomas. The next, the name of my new cocktail. It sounds better when you guys do it. Aroused, aroused, aroused. You have to roll the R a little bit. Aroused. Yeah, I don't. Actually, right, she's doing that face. Do, don't do the face when you say aroused. It's, it's horrible. Don't do that face. Do another face. Just do another. Just turn the camera. Hey, Tom, you're triggering me. <laughs> you have to understand this is a podcast, Tom, so no one can actually see my face. Um, although when we play this bit of video clip, they will see it, of course. What makes you laugh? Stupidity, honestly, and I say that with love. What I mean by that is. When you're a comic, you know, uh, comedians going to open mics, you're hearing other comics, you're hearing comedy 24-7. It is so hard to laugh because you've just heard every iteration of every joke imaginable, right? And I say this with love for my professional, be like, okay, like Corey has a dick joke. Mike has a dick joke. Jessica has a dick joke. It's like, all right, how creative can we get? And so when I say stupidity, I just mean the randomness, uh, anything that just comes out of nowhere that that tickles me, something unexpected. A lot of comedy is about tension and release. So an unexpected laugh is usually if someone is telling a story that's very morbid, and then all of a sudden there there's a turn, you know, they're like, yeah, and so um, that's how my ex-boyfriend died. And uh, <laughs> he's actually a dog and he shit on the carpet. He had to go. You're like, what? Uh, so <laughs> just like weird, random stuff where people turn on a dime. That's really funny to me. It was a very bad example. And also I wish I had a dog. Can you stop shitting on the floor? Um, to shit, you know what I mean? To shit on the floor. But there are a lot of imaginary people in my life. Unfortunately, I'm very alone. <laughs> you know what? Did you always have imaginary friends? 
no, just on this podcast. And <laughs> I, I was a very regular child. And in the last hour, I've turned into an insane person. My son, he's going to hate me for this, but he had multiple imaginary friends. Oof, that's rough. Brissy Frissy was one of them. Toy, Thumby. They all had names. Is your godson, Tom? I don't know what you did to him, but he's got a bloody bunch of imaginary friends that he grew up with. And I'm like, what the hell? Start cease right now. Honestly, I mean, not that he ever listens to a podcast, but someone might listen to it. Pointed out, you are going to be in some. This is you can't, you can't do expose him like this. This is a terrible thing to do. I would never expose him. I would just. (laughs) God, there we go again. There we go again. At least least that's not accompanied with the face. Wait. So, does he have real friends now? He always had lots of real friends, but he had very specific, you know, imaginary friends. And it's always been, he'll even talk about it now. He doesn't, he's not actually, he won't hide it. He'll talk about it. And he remembers things that he would do with them too. It's extraordinary. I just wonder, there's a whole world of imaginary friends and it's laughing aside. It's like, okay, like I think it was always a bit of a joke for him. But I I also wonder what that's about. Like the whole imaginary friend thing is clearly one can have an entire clubhouse of imaginary friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now you're about to spit your coffee. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? It's funny that you say that because people have to come as themselves on the app. You know how they don't really support brands coming on as a brand. They really want you to be an authentic person. But now people are starting to make either bot accounts or troll accounts or fake there's a fake Brad Pitt on the app who is nominated by a fake Quentin Tarantino. And I was ready to PTR to a foot photo. You know what I mean? If you know, you know. And uh, <laughs> just had to get Quentin's attention somehow. And it's interesting because they're, I'm like, who are these fake people? You know, why don't they want to come on as themselves? And I'm like, I guess sometimes for some people, it's, they don't feel comfortable being themselves. And that makes me sad for them. I, mean, I think it's, just, it's probably more entertaining. I don't think anyone's sad for anyone. But I think you... you, know, you know, By the way, no, sorry. I got to put this in there, Leah. Sorry, again, I'm just going to interrupt. I had to Google it. I'm sorry, while we were on thing, because this imaginary friend business, just so that my godson actually doesn't hate you forever. Like, having an imaginary friend is a normal and healthy part of childhood play. Having one even showed benefits in childhood development. If your child has an imaginary friend, it's totally okay. They can grow out of it in their own time as they stop needing the skills that their companion is teaching them. Like I said, I I, I think he's brilliant and I'm sure it's completely normal. He's in fact your godson and I blame you for it completely because actually if you were my godfather, I'd want an imaginary friend too. So by now, you've heard me talk about Bols Geneva on the Shaken and Stirred show. It's one of my favorite gins. You know, before there was gin, there was Geneva. And the Bols family began producing Geneva in 1664. And it's the original Dutch spirit made according to the original 1820 Lucas Bols recipe. Bols original Geneva blends malt spirit with 22 botanicals, including juniper berries, hops, coriander, cloves, and ginger. Just think of all the amazing cocktail creations you could make with this delicious spirit. Well, starting this week until April 2nd, Balls Geneva is hosting a cocktail competition to celebrate spring. And the rules are simple. Create an original citrus cocktail using Balls Geneva. Follow at Balls Cocktails USA on Instagram. Post your cocktail tag at Balls Cocktails USA and use the hashtag Balls in your court to enter. That's it. The winner will win a $500 gift card to Cocktail Kingdom and a $500 donation will be made in your name to another round, another rally. Make sure you send us your entries so we can try out some of your creations on the show. Cheers and good luck. What is comedy, Leah? Big question. What is comedy? What is it exactly? I ask myself that every day, Nigel. It is ever changing. So the funny thing is that, the funny thing about comedy is that it should be a no holds barred sort of, you can say whatever you want as long as it's funny. But I think that that's changing now. And that's also a big part of the reason why even Jerry Seinfeld, who's a clean comic, won't do colleges because a lot of things get taken out of context or people get very easily offended. 
And it's hard in this sort of PC culture that's developing and the cancel culture that's developing for comedians to really tell the types of jokes they want to tell without either getting canceled or people getting angry at them. I'm like, okay, so how do I, I was once on a show in got the Gotham comedy club in New York and Jerry dropped in and he told an eight minute bit about raisins. And he just had the audience laughing the whole time. And I was like, will I ever be that funny? Like, will I ever be funny enough to tell an eight minute bit about raisins that for some reason, everyone in the audience can relate to and is rolling in their seats? I don't know. But the fact that he is terrified that that could offend someone lets me know that comedy is, it's very difficult business. It's very hard to A, find your niche, B, find your voice, and C, find what works for you across all platforms. So jokes that I would tell in the South or the Midwest are not the same jokes I would tell in LA or not the same jokes I would tell in New York. You really have to find your voice and then find jokes that work for the communities that you're going to. So know your audience. Know your, I'll read the room, know your audience. I mean, I didn't do any of my Trump jokes in Florida. You know, I knew the room. Florida was so open. I'm in LA where it's locked down. I literally flew to Florida in a full body condom, terrified of COVID. It was my first time venturing out in like a year. I get to Florida and the first thing we do is indoor dining. And I was like, why did I even protect myself on the flight, you know? And then indoor cigar smoking. I was having a tough time. And then the venue was 400 people, no masks. And a girl in the front row was coughing. And I was like, just tell me your first and last name because I want to know who's giving me COVID. That's all. And... (laughs) But Florida is like so open. It was like girls vomiting on the street open, you know, like an indoor nightclub open and no knocking Florida, you know, you guys power to you. But it's an interesting experience because there are cultural differences from state to state, city to city. And you really have to find a way to still connect with people who are completely different from you. From a comedian's point of view, you know, you talk about council culture and you talk about, you know, you've got to be very, very, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier on today, actually this evening about, about this and like how you know the woke culture of everyone's so woke and so you know you know comedy is always pushed against boundaries generally it's always been going that little extra bit to, to talk maybe talk about something something that people don't normally talk about and dress it up but you know put it into a kind of comedic as, aspect but you were talking about that you've got you know how, how careful you've got to be wherever you go and whether it's in the south or in the you know florida or whatever does this worry you, this, this kind of council culture? It doesn't worry me because I have nothing to hide. And I'm also a non-offensive person in nature. And I'm also, I'm an apologist for what it's worth. You know, I think a lot of people don't like that I'm willing to apologize, but my intention is never to harm anyone. So if I don't have malintent, why wouldn't I want to apologize? You know, and I don't think that any of my jokes, most of my comedy is about me. So if it offends someone, then I'm like, well, no offense, but it's not about you. Can you stop making my jokes? Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, if anything, I should be apologizing to myself. Okay, but yeah, I think comedy is so essential because it really feels like the last place where people can just turn on their TV or come to a club or their Zoom or their clubhouse, wherever they're watching their comedy and just relax and know that they're going to get relief from their day. There's just so much madness in the world. And even pre-COVID, right? It didn't just start during COVID. It was before that too. I think people need something that they can just know is going to be, okay, I'm here to laugh and this will release tension for my day. And now I can just relax and move on. You're basically like mental health doctors. I mean, in a way, there's an element of like, if there's one thing that is proven that Smiling, my mom that she'll be very happy. She'll, she'll yeah, just be like, doctor? like a She's doctor? a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't know she's a doctor on Clubhouse. It's, it's like that should be the name of your show. The doctor's in the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's an element, but, but seriously, joking aside, I mean, it's like there's nothing more therapeutic. And I think there's, I mean, if it's not proven, it's, it's got to be proven that laughing, laughter, when I mean, you see it with all these charities like Make a Wish, whatever, it's like making someone happy, making someone smile, making them laugh. I mean, it's sort of the ultimate medicine, right? One way or the other, people, that's why people go to stand up. They go there just to say, okay, it's Friday night. I want to sit down, make me laugh. You know what I mean? Like just make it all go away so I can forget for a moment. And I'm just from the insides, I'm I'm laughing, I'm shaking, I'm getting it out, right? Because it's like a really a visceral experience to have a real proper laugh, a belly laugh. 
Right. Like it's so like when you, you cry. Use laughter, I use narcotics. It's the same thing, you know. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, you know, it's like some people say laughter is the best medicine. I say medicine is the best medicine. But you know, I, <laughs> I, I also do think. I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And obviously, I love comedy. I, my whole life is surrounding it now, and it's not just stand up, right? Like, you know, acting, TV hosting, writing, pitching shows around comedy. We know you do it all. I just mean that it lends itself to so many different lenses, you know, and, and people ask me to write their bios for their website because they're like, you do I'm not that funny. Me. Do you know how to do? Yeah, I will, Nigel. But it's a very steep price, just so you know. And, uh, <laughs> but, but it's interesting because I think it's a, it's a skill that I didn't realize was valuable in a way. I didn't realize that there was a place for my voice. I just thought, you know, every, almost every job I've had that wasn't comedy related, I made people either uncomfortable or they were like, oh, that, Leah, you know, that, well, that's so funny. Oh my God, we're talking about, you know, the QED report, but sure. You know, it just, there is always like a misplaced moment for it. And yet it made me special in that circumstance. And I didn't realize that was the through line. And so I, I also encourage people, like, if you feel like you're funny, you should act on it because, and I don't necessarily mean be a comedian. I just mean amp it up in your everyday life. Because I remember when, you know, working on a sh my show, America's Next Top Model. And heard of it. <laughs> and the, the producer, head producer, I won't name him. I said something and it was, I thought I was being funny or whatever. And the head producer came up to me and said, you know, Nigel, you have to remember, you're not funny. And <laughs> it's like that moment where you're like, what? And he's like, I've been telling you that for years. You he's, like, he's like, you're not funny. You know, don't try and be funny. Don't, don't go there. Just do you. And then he walked away. That was his note. And it always, it sat with me for years, still to this day. I mean, I, I feel it. I remember it. It was just one of those lines that was like, literally, you get a knife, stab me in the heart and be like, because, and I had never really even thought that I was funny, but it was the thought that I couldn't be funny, which I thought was like devastating because of the power of comedy, the power of making someone laugh and just wanting to be, I don't know, nothing, not to be to anything, but it was, it's very, that's why it's such a visceral thing. I don't know. It's sort of it sounded like you were just telling you not to just to, it sounded like you're just saying, this is the wrong context to try and crack a joke. I mean, in another context, yeah. it might be. But it's a thing. I've got a friend of mine who's got who's got a Guinness World Record for the for the most watched television show in the world. I'm not going to mention any names, but I was talking to him the other day. He's, I suppose, a lot of his stuff is comedic. But he says he when he thinks something's really funny and he thinks like Christ, like I've got the best thing ever that I'm going to think everyone's going to love this. But he told me he checks in with his producer and runs it by the producer, and the producer will quite often just turn around and go, "No, no, really, really, no, don't say that." You know, he just won't say it. And this is someone who's at the top of the game, who's, who's naturally, you know, doing it every day, who still checks in because it, I suppose it's context. And I mean, I, I don't know. So I'm going to jump to another question. Is it, do you find it difficult when you're talking about the great parts of the day and the kind of, you know, the highs and the lows? Do you find it difficult trying to sort of, you know, find your context as, as a comedian, like to, to fit yourself into to the way comedy works and, and that world? No, I kind of make my own path and I've always done that. So for me, you know, Clubhouse didn't have comedy. It's a drinking game, Tom. Every time she says Clubhouse, you have to drink. <laughs> or every time I mention myself, just go for it. Uh, I'm sure you'll be drunk by the end of this. This episode and is sponsored by Clubhouse, everybody. Oh, drinking. Yeah, go on. Yeah, my life is now sponsored by Clubhouse. No, I... <laughs> Stop saying it, for God's sake. Clubhouse, Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's interesting because there are just so many ways to do comedy that I've never really felt like I had to fit in. Uh, I've never felt that way in my real life. I never really felt I fit in anywhere, to be honest. I think that, you know, I was, I was too weird and quirky for the athletes and I was too like business minded for artists. And then I was too, like, there was, oh, there was always just something that was weird and I was always involved in groups, but I never really wanted to put myself at the heart of it until I found comedy and on Clubhouse. Thank you, Nigel. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> thank you, Tom. 
And no, and, and I do think that, you know, that's where I feel most at home. And so I feel comfortable just being me and I just let people gravitate toward me or, or if that repels them, like every other man I've ever dated. Talking about dating, <laughs> I want to talk about that, actually. I'm, I'm curious. You, okay, men, I don't know, men, women, whatever. When you tell someone you're a comedian, in a way, although it's like the best thing in the world, I can imagine it's also quite intimidating for a lot of people when they find out that their potential girlfriend, whatever, is going to be a comedian. Like, oh shit, you know, like they're funny. Is that, when does that end? When do they stop being funny? Can we just hang out and chat? Or are you always going to crack jokes? Oh no, I'm either cracking jokes or crying hysterically. There's really no in between. Just come along for the manic depression. If you're not here for it, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, I mean, my children will certainly have ima- imaginary children. You know what I mean? That's all I'm saying. They'll have imaginary children? Yeah, my, my children will have imaginary children and imaginary friends. I mean, it's just, it's a lifelong journey for me. No, it, it's been very difficult. I, I've tried dating other comedians, which I would never suggest anyone do. Do you have a, like a joke off? But did you just basically say, my advice is never date a comedian, is what you just said. I just, yeah. I just think no two headshots per relationship. So... Right. That's why we get on so well. You have my headshot on your piano and and I'm over here and it's perfect. You know, I think it's really hard for two people who are in the same sphere to date because whether or not you realize that there is that level of competition between people. And every time I've dated another comedian, if we were on the same show and I did better than them, they'd be like, oh, did you like watching me bomb? It's like, what? No, why would I want to watch you fail? Or if they got a job and I didn't, you know... That's never happened. No one has ever gotten a job over me in my relationship. But um, <laughs> I do I do think that it's very difficult. And so then when I've been dating normies, as I call them, people outside the industry, they always want you to not be a comedian or an actor. You know, they're like, well, why are you just going to advertising? Or why are you... They want you to also have a normal life is what I found. And then if you date people who are producers, managers, agents. I think like that is probably a better match. This is what I'm telling myself, by the way. I'm very single and so alone. Uh, the only person I've seen this entire pandemic is my vibrator and the batteries are dead. You know, it's just that. You've just referred to it as a person. You does have a name. Yeah, we've had a long year together. <laughs> yeah. George has passed on though. And <laughs> I, I had to get a splash guard for him. I was like, do you need PPE from me? I think <laughs> Yeah. And anytime, anytime I go on a date, it's one of two things. Either the, I can be funny too. It's like, "Mm, that's not your thing. Don't do that. You know, it's, I I don't care if you're a regular person, but I also often do feel like I'm putting on a show for another person, which doesn't feel great. My ideal date would be someone who is funny, but doesn't need to use it for their business, AKA a comedian. It's like, oh, we can just get along. We have good banter. We have a good sense of humor. Wonderful. Like that is my ideal man. So it's the, it's the, I can be funny too, which isn't great. Then there's the, um, I don't want to laugh at you and give you the satisfaction of being funny, which is a full on nightmare. And I'm like, why did you even agree to come on this date? Because now, you know, you're going into a joke. Congratulations, sir. And then, and then there are always the people in the dating apps who are like, oh, are you just trying to get in bits? Yeah, of course I'm just trying to get bits. Why do you think I'm here? It's not because I'm going to meet up with you. There's a pandemic. <laughs> so uh, I'm a nightmare to date if that hasn't been made clear. And that's probably why I'm single, Nigel and Tom. I can't imagine why myself. <laughs> I am completely shocked. And if I were 25 years younger and uh, single, I would be, you know, in for a joke <laughs> myself. Is that what we call it, Tom? <laughs> yeah, I just well, I was actually just trying to picture whether you could actually, you know, allow someone to just be themselves and not try and crack it, not try literally not try and dominate on the joke front. Jury's out. I literally I can I can I I think you probably I think you'd be all right. I think actually nice, you and I I think sound like the perfect date material. Not for each other or for no, or for, for yeah. no, no, not for each other. <laughs> Wait, Nigel, well, no, no, I'm not I'm, I'm very happily married and Two children and Thank all of them. Couldn't be more. <laughs> couldn't be more um, wrapped up. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. No one's listening. But um, <laughs> she's always there. She has eyes on the back of her head. No, I get it. I um. I, the other problem I have, I'll be quite frank. I think is I'm a very alpha woman, right? And 
I also don't want to ever date a fan. I don't want to date someone who comes to the show and is like, ooh, a star, you know, and then has this idea of who they think I am. And then we meet and I'm like, I'm a real person. You know, I have feelings. I'm not just this hard person who's like, dick joke, dick joke. Although there are, are a lot of those. And, uh, you know, I'm looking for a guy who's like six foot, 10 inches. And that's two measurements. Hey, <laughs> sorry, I'm already married. What can I say? <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to know, though. <laughs> What is not funny? Yeah. Okay, I will tell you this much. There was a Holocaust survivor on Clubhouse the other day. Mm. And he asked me, he said, do you make jokes about the Holocaust? And I said, kind of. (laughs) I I have a joke, an Anne Frank joke. It's very short. And what is it? Well, I I put it in my diary, so I can't tell you. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, go on. Right into it. And, uh, and, and, well, I mean, look, and, and he's like, I don't think Holocaust jokes are funny. And I was like, I understand why you wouldn't, you know, and I will never do them in front of you. I would, I don't have any jokes actually about the Holocaust. And I, I understand why that feels like dangerous territory. I think 9-11 is very touchy for some people. I don't have any 9-11 jokes. I'm from New York. I remember it like the back of my hand. No, but, but, but you, but to your point, what you're getting at is like the fact that if something makes you laugh and, and, and think and it's a joke, right? So it's, it's not about the fact that it's, it's sensitive and you, you know, yeah, Holocaust upsets a lot of people. 9-11 upsets a lot of people. Both upset me. You seem very upset, Nigel. Yeah. Hilarious. Right. <laughs> I'm like, but I, I just think that at the same time, like we've all, there are elements where someone says something and you're like, Oh my God, that is disgusting, outrageous. I'm horrified. I'm mortified. But for some odd reason, <laughs> you can't help but laugh. You know what I mean? You're like, oh shit. You know, like you hit a chord. You're like, like, oh, stop. Don't say that again. But you just made me laugh. You know what I mean? Like, so this was, this is where I'm coming around to my point. So Louis C.K., however you feel about him, has probably the best 9 11 joke ever, where it's not even about 9 11. You know, it's just a joke about how he's a horrible person, but it's a 9-11 joke. So for me, you know, comedy is about tension and release. So if someone makes an excellent Holocaust joke or an excellent 9-11 joke, you have to be a very skilled writer, very tactful. And those are some of the best jokes because it makes everyone feel like a horrible person for a second. And then we are all connecting on this one topic that we all know about. And then there's a release. And it just levels the playing field completely so you have to be a very skilled writer to take those on so i was gonna say like i would say those jokes are like that's if you you're like the cream of the crop if you can make tragedy comedy but i don't think anything is really off limits in my mind wow that's interesting where do you get your inspiration from where don't i get my inspiration probably just kim kardashian (laughs) (laughs) that we all yeah she's my comedic inspiration i i remember watching chris rock as a kid is special and just watching him on stage and being like, he's the funniest person on the planet. Uh, I get my inspiration from a lot of different places. I, Joan Rivers is my, my idol. I got to meet Melissa and I was on her podcast. And when I met her, I burst into tears. Basically, it was like, this is very uncomfortable, but I love your mom so much. And I was on Ease What the Fashion, which was adjacent to Fashion Police. And yeah. it was felt so close to being Joan Rivers-esque and it was roasting fashion on celebrities. And I was like, this is too cool of a moment for me. This is just such an honor. I mean, I love her. I love Joan. I love, oh, I had a book. I was going to, hold on. Hold on one second. I'm so excited to show you this. Um, I'm going to keep talking very loudly so you can see. Oh, oh, where is it? Oh. Here is now looking through her house, her home, talking to her various assistants. Wait, and okay. Extraordinary people that work for her, and she's back. Phyllis Diller, one of the greatest of all times, one of the OGs, one of paved the way for other female comedians. Her book is like a lampshade in a whorehouse, right? And so this was given to me by an actress named Bunny Gibson, who was in the original American Bandstand. She's a legend. She's incredible. She was in my web series a couple years ago, and at one of the award ceremonies that we got for the series. She gave me this book signed by Phyllis Diller. Amazing. And I, I burst into tears. And she just wrote, this book was meant for you. Shine on, 
and it has Phyllis's signature in it. And I, I couldn't even believe it. And I just thought, wow, you know, it's like all of these years of powerful women pass on to help other women rise up. And so women like Phyllis, women like Joan, Sarah Silverman, Chelsea Handler, Amy Schumer, they just paved the way. I, I mean, Ali Wong is probably one of my favorite comedians working. Uh, if you've never had the pleasure of watching her live and you don't really, under, you're yeah. missing out. But I'm grateful to be kind of not following in the footsteps of these giants, but, you know, just being in their presence or, or being tangentially near them is so cool for me. And so these are really major influences. Of course, Chappelle is an influence and uh, like, there are all these great, great comedians, but as a female in comedy, it's, I think now becoming a little more common, but it is a difficult road for women in comedy. It's an uphill battle. You are, you are, you need to perhaps stop being so self-deprecating because you are following in the footsteps of these women, clearly the way you talk about them. I think it's okay to say that. All right, following the footsteps. <laughs> All right, fine. And, and I think that if anything too, you know, the fact that there have been perhaps not as many well-known female comedians, I mean, that doesn't, in every profession, it seems to be that's, the, you know, clearly women are now, uh, have been for the part, as long as they can be, forcing through and, and, and saying, hey, we can do everything you can do and actually are as funny, if not funnier. Right. Or in this particular instance or whatever you might be doing, you can be better and, and as good as and that's been proven across the board. Right. So and I think we're at that point where well, that's why people are so vulnerable, too. I think it's also because men are like, oh, shit, you know, like they're just as powerful as we are. And, and they finally, finally figured that out. So it's sort of and I say, finally, you've obviously known forever, but men have allowed you to be or whatever the situation has happened and more women have push themselves through so they, they've, they've actually can you know, have a voice, but it's, it's, it's high time, high, high time that women on mass are able to be, I don't know, have a voice to do, do what they like to do what they to pursue the career that they wish. It seems to be that it's almost been almost ridiculous that we've spent as long as we have with women sort of suppressed on many ways. I mean, we've talked about women empowerment for, um, so many episodes of Shaken and Stirred. I mean, I work as a, an ambassador for the United Nations uh, for Girl Up and for He For She campaign, but it's very interesting because it all often comes back to this, this sort of moment where we talk about how, you know, and this is obviously, you know, you're a comedian and this is not where I was thinking we were going to even go with this, but it's it's interesting, even comedy, like where, you know, you hear of people like Dave Chappelle, you know, one of the most, probably the most famous comedian ever almost, you know, and but what, what, you know, why isn't there a female equivalent or why isn't there someone who's literally his, his, you know, right up there against him? And there are, but they, you don't hear about it in the same way, but that's changing, right? Oh, I would absolutely agree with that. And I mean, I'm not saying women are a superior race, but we can make food with our bodies. And Hello. I understand men are like semen is food, but it's just, it's a lot of calories, you know? Oh shit! Okay, <laughs> I, love, I, love, so, I love that. I do think that women are coming up faster now. However, is still an uphill battle. Most comedy shows I see, the flyers have one woman, right, and the rest are men on the lineup. That's why when I book my shows, it's half men, half women, or more women than men. And often the women do better. No offense. No. And you know, and I well actually offense. Take it, please, please take offense. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm tired of being pushed to the side. I'm tired of the internalized misogyny that some women feel, and I felt it too. I've been victim of that. We're thinking, well, if she gets the spot, then there's no spot for me. And these, there are these limiting beliefs around it that if we help bring other people up, then we're actually removing ourselves from the stage because there's only place for one. And so I think that's a really dangerous mentality. So for me, I like to help other women because I want to make sure that we understand that there's an abundance mentality and there's space for all of us. You know, there's enough space for men. So why can't there be enough space for women? And I think that Ali Wong, Amy Schumer, like they're paving the way. And I'm these giants that I see, you know, it's like, I would love to have my special soon. I would love to be a star of a sitcom soon. And I know that I would hire a ton of women because I already know so many badass. And I wouldn't not hire men. That's crazy. I, I have so many great friends who are male comics who are 
allies. And I would, of course, want to hire them. I want to hire anyone who's good at their job. Word. I mean, that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's about being good at your job, knowing what you're talking about and just, you know, nailing it basically. And, and, and if, if a woman can do that, which they clearly can, and I think men are perhaps scared of that because they, they feel that their position is being taken away or, or you know, on some level. Uh, you know, it's an incredibly interesting sort of topic, I think, in itself, just because there's guys, I think, feel very fragile and they feel very, in a weird way, they don't say that, but they do because they sort of see like this sort of the shifting landscape. And to your point, like, they're like, oh, but I don't think it's, is a woman funny or is a man funny? It's just like, who's funny? If you're funny, if you're in this particular instance, or who's right for the job, if you're right for the job, you're right for the job, right? So, you know, it's guys somehow feel like they deserve it over women, which is that that's the issue. I think, you know, right there is like somehow they sort of somehow have this, they're brought up in a culture that suggests that men are better or more deserving or are the, you know, money earners or whatever it might be. And it's Go just Genesis, Adam and Eve, just that right? little rib. Oh, okay. You know, it's like they tell us in the Bible. That what do we do with that then? What do you do? With, <laughs> what do you do with changing that moment? And this is not necessarily a funny moment, but it's like, what the hell? What do you? Because you're right. It literally starts there, right? So in an, it literally doesn't. Sorry, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Fucking hell! Sorry, like dinosaurs. I mean, let's create. Starting to sound like what a creationist. Though. No, but I'm not talking about creationists, but I'm talking about humanity, how we see it as people. Not obviously, how freaking scientists see it, you moron. I just check. Tom hates this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear what you're saying, though, and I think um, the New Testament really had a chance to change things, and it didn't revise the Old Testament, so that's your fault. I don't know what you people were doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make right. the new New Testament, just so everyone's clear. New Testament 2.0. I'll revise history if that's cool with everyone. Please do. Please do. Leah, you've been an absolute charm to have on Taken <laughs> and Stirred. I, it's, it's been, I, I don't know where we've gone. We've gone all over the place on this particular episode. But before we let you go, we have a little thing we call Last Orders. Never let me go. Okay, We're go never on. letting <laughs> you go. We're holding you tight. And um, would I even like to have you back, I think? Because I think we've only just, I know, let, let's just... Uh, <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Here it goes. It's it's very fast, but it, it depends. It may not be that fast, depending on how you answer. First question. Well, for most men, it goes quickly, but... There's so many. I was just going to say, there are just right so there. many little, right little, little cut-ins there that you could do. <laughs> Jesus, I was just waiting. I was just going, come on, come on, come on, come on. When, when you're just like opening yourself up to... Anyway, <laughs> say something else. <laughs> <laughs> My first question. Why did the chicken cross the road? No. Not no. <laughs> no is the answer, Tom. No. I, I had it lined up. I saw, I'm like, you know what? I've got to ask him because I've just got to take it there right off the bat. I'm like, it, it's, it's just, okay, I'm going to let you have no is the answer. I want to know what the name is. This is for women. Okay, go. <laughs> only for women. This is a question just for women. Um, nickname your parents gave you. Lucy, which is short for Lucifer, if that lets you know anything about our relationship. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. That is really weird. Um, <laughs> virtue or sin? That one's pretty clear. Sin. My name is Lucifer. <laughs> yeah. So how do you like the, That's bizarre the way these that question fell in with the answers to the last one. Anyway, yeah, just, seventh layer of hell. You know, I'm just right there. It's just perfect branding for me. And I think, you know, I think it, virtue is sin. Spinning, okay. spinning in the name of pleasure and not hurting anyone. I like the way you put your hand under your chin when you said that. Um, <laughs> in the movie of your life, who would you have play you? Angelina Jolie. I Just can see that. because I would want a better looking version of myself like every other narcissist. That, I mean, this is Hollywood, baby. That's how they do it. Absolutely. Hollywood, baby. I know. <laughs> I, I would have The Rock play me. I get it. I mean, or what? Natalie Portman because she is my favorite Hollywood Jew. Yeah, she's amazing. I, I can see that too. What floats your boat and what gets your goat? What floats my boat is fried chicken and what gets my goat is hot men who can throw it down in the bedroom and probably verbally abuse me. Wow. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. 
because they both sounded enjoyable for some odd reason. Anyway, um, preferably both at the same time. I'm a very well, bad lay if that wasn't obvious. I'm I love just, it. I'm just a nightmare. This thing is nice, doesn't often get stuck for words, but this is really interesting. Carry on, Nudge. Next question. Final question. I think I'll just end on this. Do you guys regret this podcast yet? <laughs> Never. Shaken or stirred? Ooh, baby. I don't like having to choose, but I prefer to shake things up. There we go. There we go. Leah people, on the Shaken and Stirred show. We love you. Thank you so much. Find her on Clubhouse if you're invited in. And if not, what do you have coming up? Do you have anything coming up where people can see you, view you? See you. Oh, meet- yes, please. If you follow me on Instagram, Leah Lamar, L E A H L A M A R R, I always post all the shows I'm doing on there. So you could see me live or you can hear me on the internet. And I always have shows coming up. So make sure to follow me to find out what's going on. And Fantastic. thank you guys so much for having me. I love you guys. It was so we appreciate fun. it. Thank you. Cheers. Love you. All the best. You. Take care. Bye, guys. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.